We return again to our series, Putting Faith into Practice. We're surveying the book of James. Are you still reading that book? You can't get it all in one time. God speaks to you differently each time. And as the Spirit of God is able to lead and direct you, and you can understand what the Spirit is is revealing, you can see even more. So just keep reading it. Keep praying that God will reveal himself to you through this letter. Today's message focuses on criticism, but it includes other evil speaking. James' letter, remember, was written to Jews who had converted to Christianity, but who who had been dispersed, is the word, but who lived outside of Israel. And so James is is spelling out practical faith, but he is also revealing us evidence that indicate the reality of our own faith. So as we see something that we should apply, we need to reflect to whether we have that capacity. Are we truly born again? Take out your outline or your little brochure that has so much more involved. I urge you to work work through it during the week. But Psalms 15, there on the, the front page, This is a song of ascent. This is what Jews would sing as they went up to the temple mount. But it says, who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? And then I drop to verse 3. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil... Of their friends. What we say reveals a lot about our spiritual state. A person whose life is characterized by the hurtful use of his or her tongue reveals an unloving and perhaps even an unsaved heart. Look at look at first John two verses nine and ten, also first John four verse twenty. Matthew fifteen says this, you want to turn there. This is a verse I've used many times in this series. You can find it on 785. But this verse answers this notion that, you know, some of us just, just burn somebody up, melt them down with our tongue, and then we say, well, that wasn't like me. But here's what Matthew 15, 19 says. It'll be on the screen as well. For from the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and then the one we focus on today, slander. It's what's inside that's being revealed. The person that you blow up at, that person didn't cause it. That person gave an opportunity for you to show yourself. Because what we truly are will be seen in our lives. It will be heard in our words. Do you believe that? Because you know we tend to give an excuse. When we say something truly awful. Well I was just upset. Well it may be but that revealed. The floor. The true floor of your life. In this message. We'll focus on the things we say. Especially the unkind. Harsh. Harmful things. That we say about each other. 
James encouraged his readers, which I said was originally Jews who had converted to Christianity. But because he was inspired by the Spirit, when he wrote to them, he writes through them to us. And so he encourages us to become aware of what we are saying. And to realize that what we say reveals what we think. And it shows us our hearts, which is our true spiritual state. So we're going to look at several things our, word, our words reveal. First, our words reveal our thoughts about others. James chapter 4. That's our primary text today. At verse 11. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. For if you criticize and judge each other. Now there's a Greek word that's translated speak evil. And the Greek word is also translated in other Bible versions as criticize, slander, or say cruel things. All of those different words, English words, come out of the Greek origin. Criticism is expressing disapproval. Now, we like to say, well, this is just constructive criticism. But how many of us enjoy constructive criticism? When your boss says, come on in, I'm going to give you a good bracing. I'm going to really just wear you out for your good. Aren't you eager about that Monday morning meeting? No, we put that label on it, but none of us like that. And most of the time, our criticism is actually used as a put down. Slander is a thoughtless, careless, but also untrue statement that's spoken to injure someone. Cruel words are just harsh words that are intended to cut, that are intended to hurt and to humiliate. Being judgmental, which is also mentioned in that verse, is a reference to condemning someone as of little value or worth. And that criticism is as a practical matter in this life, But it also bears reference to your spiritual worth or value. Unkind, critical speech reveals an insecure heart. But it also becomes a test of genuine faith. For believers, it's a measure of spiritual maturity. All of us know the scripture calls us to build each other up, not tear each other down. So why do we tear each other down? Ephesians 4.29, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. And all of us gathered here are part of one family. We're all people joined by common faith in Christ, common love for God. So why in one family, large though it is, would we want to damage each other instead of improve, love, support, encourage, and protect each other, which is what we're called to do as spiritual relatives. And those behaviors should be evidence in our lives that we protect each other, that we care for each other. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. A willingness, even a readiness to criticize and condemn reveals a lack of love and a deep insecurity. You see, a tendency to slander and gossip, 
And you have to ask yourself, is this me? An inclination to create conflict and division. Some people enjoy separating friends, dividing people. It's a way for them to get in a a place of control, they think. But those behaviors reveal fear, anger, and bitterness within. Fear and anger are always related. Did you know that? The angriest person you know is the most fearful person. Because the anger protects the vulnerability where the fear is seated. Well, I have the anger, but I don't know about this fear. Well, you've got to ask God to show you the fear that your anger is protecting. If fellow believers are viewed as people for whom Christ died, who were loved and honored by God, who were members of God's own family, as people with whom you will spend eternity, you will seek to honor, love, and protect them. You know, if there's someone in this room that you don't even like to be around, you need to work on that because God may put you next to that person for eternity. You say, well, well, I'm glad he said that because that person's in the other service. That's why I come at this service. I mean, I know some couples that have split up and they go to different services to avoid each other. God may put them together for eternity. And it's still called heaven, but they'll, they would have to work that out a little bit. But here's the point. If we see people according to their true spiritual identities, differences of race, education, financial standing will become unimportant, irrelevant, I think even invisible to us. So what do you see when you look at someone? Do you see who they are in God's eyes? Can you spot the image of God? Or are you quick to note the color of their skins, whether they speak as educated or uneducated, what kind of car they drive, what kind of house they live in? If so, you're missing this point. You're missing this point. That should become invisible to us. Now, we avoid speaking evil of others, not merely by the exercise of self-control, not merely controlling our tongues. That's better than not controlling your tongue. But better that you learn to think rightly about people. Better that you ask God to show you how he sees someone. C.S. Lewis writes that if we could see each other as we really are, as born-again people, as people who possess God's own spirit, we'd be tempted to worship each other. But look how we look at people. You won't criticize or condemn someone you have decided to love. You say, well, you don't know what he did. You don't know what she said. Those, those excuses are irrelevant. 
Have you determined to love that person? So ask yourself, do I regularly speak negatively about people? Even about one person. What does that reveal about my heart? Our words also reveal our thoughts about God's law. Back to James 4. Verse 11. I read part of this sentence. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. Now, what is God's law? Well, it's the Old Testament law that included the Ten Commandments, but also much more. And it was given to Israel by God through Moses on Mount Sinai. But it was given as an expression of how to love God and love people. Evidence of that is the fact that Jesus was asked by a Pharisee, a Pharisee was an expert in the law, to name the greatest commandment. And he replied at Matthew 22, verse 37. And it's on 792. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Since loving others is the essence of the law, then speaking evil of others is a failure to love. So harsh, harmful, critical speech is a violation of the law. Do you see that? Am I pushing it too far? Do you see it? Larry, you see that? In fact, we saw this just a few weeks ago, James chapter 2. You know, it's just to the left of where we are. In verse 8, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law, love your neighbor as you love yourself, as found in the Scriptures. That summarizes all the rules and regulations if you love God and you love people. And James doesn't address this evil speaking, this criticism, this willing to slander, this this likelihood of intentionally condemning other people. He doesn't speak of it merely as a lack of human kindness. He doesn't even say it's just ill-mannered. He says it's a violation of God's holy law. And then he continues in James 4.11. But your job is to obey the law. Not to judge whether it applies to you. When we disobey the law by speaking evil against another person, we're actually saying, This law doesn't apply to me. I'm above this law. It's interesting how in American culture, we've decided if we're saved, we no longer have to pay any attention to anything God said. 
in terms of behavior. It's not true. The person who disregards God's law considers himself or herself to be superior to the law and is actually asserting that that I'm not bound by that law. I'm not subject to what God says or its authority. In other words, here's what we're saying. God doesn't control me. I control me. My attitudes, opinions, and preferences are more important to me than God's are. Is that how you feel? What's evident in your life and in your words? Because that's really how you feel. Such disrespect displays an attitude that the law is unworthy of my attention or obedience and certainly my submission. I'm not submitting to what God says, which is contempt for God. Now, sometimes we say, I'm born again, so I don't have to submit. We misunderstood who, understand who God is and what he wants. Do I, do you disrespect God's law by willingly disregarding and disobeying it? Our words also reveal our thoughts about God himself. Verse 12. God alone who gave the law is the judge. When we disobey God's commands, including his commands to love him and to love others, again, we're putting ourselves above God. When we speak harshly and we demean the value of someone whom God has created And someone whom God loves. We're disregarding God's law. But more importantly, we're showing disrespect for God himself. And even though our words and our actions harm another person. Our offense. Our disobedience is still against God. Because God sets the standards For all behavior. Don't raise your hands. Any of you ever been expelled from school? Suspended? I never got suspended. Now I got spanked 32 times just in the 6th grade. But they wouldn't send me home. Um, But it was only one lick. Each spanking was only one lick back then. So you know, I mean, come on. You decide what effect it had on me. Or how about those of you who've been arrested? You don't have to confess it, but we have quite a few who've spent a little time behind the, behind the bars. And when your parents found out, in either case, kicked out of school, arrested, put in jail, it's very common for them to say, not, why did you do this? But to say, I thought I taught you better than this. Is that true? Because your behavior is a direct reflection on their influence. And if your parents feel that way, how much more does God feel that towards you? David said after, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, obviously sinned against her, but also sinned against her husband Uriah, But above all of that, 
he sinned against God. And he said it, Psalms 51. You could turn there if you want, but the words will be on the, the screen. David praying, against you and you alone have I sinned. And I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. He wasn't saying that he didn't violate Bathsheba. That he didn't offend Uriah, her husband. But he's saying that the primary recipient of my sin and my offense is you, O God. Because you set the standard of what is right and what is wrong. You know, as I said, your parents would say, well, I thought I taught you better than this. You know why? Because your, your misdeeds, your sins, are personal to your parents. Do you know that? Not just because of what the way it made them, makes them look. They care about your life. They tried, to, they tried to craft you and influence you to be a certain kind of person. Well, all of our sins are personal to God. All of our sins are painful to God. We minimize that, don't we? We've decided that, well, I'm saved, so God's irrelevant in this issue. I do what I want to do. That means there's something vital lacking in your relationship to God. The same way that a child who disregards a parent's instruction is casting off that parent's influence. How is it different? His son died for those very sins. And unfortunately, we've heard that so many times. We minimize what it took for him to forgive us. God forgives us if we trust in his son's sacrifice. But he doesn't ever consider our sin trivial or insignificant. Do you believe that? Steve, you believe that? Because you see, if we really believe that, our lives will reflect it, won't they? We won't be careless in our lives. The core issue of every sin we commit is really the desire to take God's place as ruler over our lives. It's really to displace God from the throne. And step up and occupy it ourselves. Because see, we're in essence saying to God, whenever we sin, I don't care what you want for me or from me. I want what I want. And we act as though this declining immorality in our culture is enlightenment from us as human beings. And that God was just uninformed then you don't know God if you think God was uninformed about human nature or human behavior. God alone is the sovereign ruler, lawgiver, and judge of the universe. He put his law into place. He determines right and wrong for every person for all time. Now, you won't be saved by keeping the law. Because you have to keep it perfectly and no one does. But that still doesn't mean we discount 
or overlook the law of God. It's still right and true. We don't get to make new rules for our behaviors. We don't get to set new standards of morality. New, new, new appropriateness. New levels of appropriateness for our behaviors. So what we see in our culture isn't enlightenment. It's erosion of God's standards. And God's keenly aware and sensitive to it. And he is the judge. God as judge applies the law. He determines the sentence for violations. And God's judgment is always fair. Because God knows the hearts and the motivations of every person. God knows your motivation better than you do. you believe that? Have you noticed that we can sometimes sort of fool ourselves? We can't fool God. We can say, well, I'm really doing this and give it another reason or an excuse or a camouflage. But God sees right through it even if we don't. But I admit sometimes we don't detect our own motivations. So we have to ask God to reveal to us our own motivations. 1 Samuel 16 says this about what God sees. It's on page 237. It will also be on the screen. But the Lord said to Samuel, and this is when Samuel the prophet was, was examining the, um, David's brothers to see who should be king. And he saw the first, you know, that was so tall and powerful looking. And God said, don't judge by appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance. That's for good and bad, isn't it? But the Lord looks on the heart. God gave the law, and he will fairly judge people by the law or by faith in his son. There's, there's no two ways. If, you're, if you are a born-again believer today, you won't be judged by the law. If you're not a believer, you will be judged by the law. And here's the problem. I'm afraid today in our culture, we have done this sort of shallow, I prayed this prayer, I walked this aisle, I've been baptized, and yet we continue to ignore what God wants. We're still going to be under the law if we're not born again. If we are born again, born again means new nature. means love for God and His Word. You see what I'm saying? So if you're indifferent to God's law, If you're uncaring about his standards, that's evidence you've not been born again. James 4.12 says, He alone has the power to save or to destroy. God is able to save, which means forgiving sins, of those who place their faith in Jesus' sacrifice. But he also will punish unrepentant sinners now remember what the word repent means repent doesn't mean I shouldn't have done that repentance means to turn to change direction to think differently so it's not only 
It's not only saying, well, I shouldn't have done that. Because we say that a lot, don't we? We apologize for a lot of things we don't really feel bad about. It just gets us past, you know, social discomfort. But repentance is you really have changed your mind about this matter. And no longer are you pretending that it's wrong. You know it's wrong. You see the difference? And God's destruction is not annihilation. It's not ceasing existence alone. It's separation from him in that eternal place called hell. I mean, hell's a dimension. It's, what are the characteristics of hell? I mean, we know about the fire and burning sulfur, but those passages are parabolic. They're Jesus referring to the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem burning. So will it be fire and ash and stench and I, I don't know. In, in its essence, it'll be separation from God. And if today, if that's not a frightening thought for you, for you to be separated from God, that's probably very revealing about where you are spiritually. Because separation from God is separation from all hope, all peace, for all time. Matthew 10, 28, Matthew 25, 46, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. But here's the question. We go back to where we started. What do my thoughts about others reveal about my attitude toward God? So I want you to pick up your angriest attitude and understand that's going to God. And you're saying, God, I don't care what you have to say. Our words also reveal our thoughts about ourselves. Verse 12. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Now, does this mean that you, you can judge those that are really bad people? There's some awful people right here in this community. You know, but do you see in here, but you can talk bad about, about them, badly about this person. I don't see that, do you? I don't see room for that in my life or in your life. We have to understand that people belong to God who created them. They don't belong to us. Romans 14 verse 4 says it this way. We'll go ahead and just put it on the screen. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. I mean, right now, who, who are you praying that God rains down the burning sulfur on? And what should you be praying? That God restores, redeems, changes that person. Again, I'm not saying there aren't some awful people, mean, hateful people. But what are we saying? What are we showing? What are we praying for those people? We really don't have a right, or we're not really, we don't have a right to criticize and condemn each other. Only God does. 
And those who speak evil of others reveal an exaggerated view of themselves, of their own importance. Criticizing, slandering, putting someone down is an expression of pride, of an overinflated ego. But again, pride and ego are merely expressions of the opposite, which is a deep sense of insecurity and insignificance. Why would I put somebody down unless I'm trying to lift myself up? Do we see Jesus ever putting people down to lift himself up? Do we see Jesus ever concerned what people think about him? He knew himself. So speaking negatively, it really is always an expression of pride. I'm better than this one. It's the antithesis of the humility that we looked at the last time I preached on James, James 4, 7 through 10, which said, humble yourself before God. Let him lift you up. So why do we want everybody else to lift us up? Whose approval do you want? You know, if, if I need to, to, to act like I'm better than some others, that's a failure for me to see myself honestly. Because honestly and truly, I'm weak, I'm prone to sin, I'm needing of grace. Grace from God, grace from people. Romans 12, 3 says this. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, Paul writing, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourself by the faith God has given you. You see what I'm saying? My value isn't in in the man Perry Duggar. My value is in the man who's received God's spirit. You see what I'm saying? But boy, why aren't we wise enough to quit all this comparing? And why can't we see I've been vested with God's spirit? And there's no riches, no recognition, no popularity, no celebrity that can touch that. But we're so quick to overlook the person God created us to be. A lot of us don't even know who who we are, what God placed in us to develop. You know why? Because we want somebody else's gifts. Well, I'd like to be on this stage. But let me tell you this, I, I could have lessons every day for a year and Brantley Smith wouldn't let me on this stage. I mean, I can crazy sing, but I would never be singing it realistically. I could take lessons in guitar or, or whatever and I could never approximate the talent and the skill Joe Weehun has. God started with talent and then it is human effort that develops it into skill. And it's okay to praise people for that effort. But what has God placed in you? Are you developing that? You see what I'm saying? Have you discovered that? Forrest, what's God made you to be? Individually, uniquely, just you. And we always shuffle around, want what somebody else wants. Because we want attention. Because we don't know God. 
our role with each other is not to judge, it's not to criticize, but it is to recognize the dignity of every individual. It's to look for the image of God in each person. You know that really ugly guy at work? I don't mean physically, I mean attitudinally ugly. Tomorrow morning, ask God to show you the image of God in that man. You're just looking at a wound man. That surliness, critical nature, that's just a very damaged man. Say, God, where's the image of God in him? And then it's our responsibility. It's not your responsibility to ignore it. I know y'all been hearing me saying, well, I don't say anything bad about anybody. Yeah, but you don't do anything good for anybody. See, we have both responsibilities. And one of the responsibilities is that we're, especially for other believers, called, even expected, even required to help develop the character of Christ in each other. Do you know that? Not judging our neighbor means not condemning, but it doesn't mean avoid exhorting or correcting. Do you know that? Forrest, you owe it to me to correct me. If you see something I need to be dealing with, that's living in the family of God. That's caring about each other. I don't care about you if I will let you misuse your life. You see my point? Well, he's making those decisions. I have no hand. No, no, you have responsibility there. Because by the fact that someone would step into another person's life expresses recognition of value and worth. You see what I'm saying? The fact that you would address an issue in someone's life says, I know you have the handprint of God on your life. And I'm committed to help you and you be committed to help me. Who speaks into your life? Y'all know I do transformation prayer. I think it, it, it it's metamorphosizes our lives as it cleans up lies we believe about ourselves. And it's just, it's, we just pray for each other. And David was talking to me about, you know, I, I'm in training to facilitate. And I have a client. And so David Hardy says, well, are you still getting sessions? And I knew what he meant by that. But yes, I'm still, I'm still receiving sessions as well. Because you know what? I want to be the person God created me to be. And you know, it is not easy. It takes time. It takes effort. Sometimes it's painful. Do we have the courage to seek to become the people God crafted us to be? Matthew 18, 15 through 17 tells us how to address people who sin against us. You're not called to overlook other people's sin. You're not called to ignore other people's wrongs. You are called to recognize it without criticism or judgment and then to help the person escape from sin. I'll suggest this. Whatever you, you imagine right now, the worst thing you ever did in your life. 
which in transformation prayer, you don't confess that stuff. That's not what we even do. But you know what you know where the guilt and regret is. What if somebody had really loved you and you would let them have access into your life? You might have avoided that action, wouldn't you? If somebody if you had let down the defenses and if somebody had cared enough to come in, is that right, Jamie? You might have avoided it. It's my responsibility for you. It's your responsibility for me. But I have to let down my guard to let you in as well. Galatians 6, up here. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, need to have some level of maturity, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is to love one another. We must learn to relate to each other by speaking the truth in love. So we can each grow to be more like Jesus Christ. Okay, do you recognize the reason for your critical nature, for your harsh words? By now, God's Spirit should be pointing them out to you. Do you recognize the reason? And will you ask God to reveal to you the source, the wound, the, the experience that has resulted in you spewing this stuff. There's a cause. Ask God to show you so you can repent of it. Soul training is just that. Ask God to make me aware when I'm speaking evil so I can repent, which means turn away from it, stop that behavior, see people in a different light. As I close, I just want to tell you, mention something that our church does it's a practice of our church we we ordain people in our church who have a call from God on their lives for gospel ministry and the way it's done in this church is that we have an advisory team that leads our church which is six laymen and right now there's seven lead pastors and together, we meet together, and we do a number of things to offer leadership for the church. But one of them is interviewing a person who has God's call on his life or her life. And then for gospel ministry. And then we practice what the Bible calls the laying on of hands. We hear the person's testimony. We hear this person's call to ministry. And we hear this person's philosophy of ministry, vision for ministry. And then the leaders lay on hands, which means we bless and we pray for the work and the ministry of that person. Now, we ordained one of our staff persons. Unfortunately, it was a year ago, and we've been remiss. We forgot to do everything, which was we were supposed to announce this ordination to the church. So today, I'm going to announce to you the ordination of Gene Beckner, if he'll come out. I think he's back there. Gene Beckner leads our care department, which is really that part of Brookwood that, that 
places hands and kindness and blessing and provision to our own people. So benevolence, celebrate recovery, transformation prayer, all kinds of recovery, uh, even hospital ministry and things like that are under Gene Beckner. And he has a marvelous staff, but he provides great leadership for them. So what I'm, I'm going to lay on my hands and bless him. And you pray for him as I do. Father, we thank you for your handprint on Gene Beckner's life. We thank you, Lord, as you work in him and continue to conform him to Christ. Give him your wisdom. Give him your vision of how to lead in this church. God, give him ears to hear you speak, eyes to see you at work, lips to speak your truth that is edifying to others. So God, bless his work in your ministry. Not that he'll be praised, but that you'll be praised. But when, when people see what you're at work, all of us benefit from experiencing your presence. So Father, I pray for many years of productive work for this man's life who loves you and loves your people. In Christ's name. Amen. And now, in affirmation of my prayer, would you please stand and affirm and applaud for Gene?